We start things off for a Wednesday, and here we roll into midday on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome to it. Lots of information straight ahead. Lots of really exciting stuff. Really sort of cutting-edge sort of reporting going on today. And <laughs> we'll check in with, uh, you, you, you caught the uh, pun there, didn't you? I did catch the pun. You know, coming up at 117, Bryce is going to talk about the Virtual Incision Corporation. It's a company that's at Nebraska Innovation Campus, and they are focused on developing miniaturized robots for surgery procedures. So that's going to definitely be on the cutting edge of technology, as you say. So we'll find out more later this afternoon at 117. Well, it is a Wednesday, which means Shaylee Peters checks up with the folks at BASF about uh, Eric Schultz will be joining him for some of the latest updates in the crops. And as we know, some nice rains over the area in the last uh, probably 24 hours. So some happy producers in that regard and speaking of producers coming up at 12:45, i catch up with a young pork producer that's actually just a hop skip and a jump from where i'm at has developed an app and as you said Dirk, when life gets tough just throw an app at it <laughs> yeah. and his app could save you a lot of time so stick around for that at 12:45. all right we'll look forward to it all thank you susan littlefield and the ag department working 24 7 for us on this stuff we have jason jorgensen his clock hardly slows down either it does a little bit in the summertime all right well, we'll give just, you that. just a little but you're on daylight savings time it all uh, happens an hour earlier that is true <laughs> hey coming up in sports we'll talk about former nebraska head coach mike riley Sounds like he is going to be a head coach again. He is. Yes. Not in the college ranks, but in that new professional league that will start up in February. uh, No kidding. Alliance of American Football or American Alliance Football. Uh There's eight teams that are going to be playing in that. When does the season run on that league? They're supposed to start the week after the Super Bowl. And they have some people with some big pockets backing them. I believe CBS also will air the games, or some of the games will be on the CBS Sports Network. And there's a lot of folks with connections back to the NFL that are involved with this league. Now, we all know how other leagues have fared over the years yeah. trying to get started up against the uh, NFL, but Coach Riley is going to be in San Antonio. We'll tell no you more kidding. about that. Yeah. So I'll be darned. Well, then we some. Yeah. About $500,000 a year to coach that team. No kidding? Mm-hmm. Right out of the park. I okay. well, Helps to be nice. If you're nice does. to people, if you're nice to people, <laughs> you get more than one, one chance. Uh, also coming up, we'll talk about the College World Series. They tried to play three games yesterday. They only got two in, and they're having a hard time getting the first one in today as that Arkansas and Texas Tech game. Uh, that is in a rain delay right now as the showers just do not want to move out of the Omaha area. But eventually, they'll probably get that one played this afternoon. All right. Very good. And Bob Brogan on business. Stocks are mixed today. Uh, the EU is ready to impose tariffs on Friday. And, of course, that's got a lot of folks uh, smoking hot, I guess. Yeah. Central bank chiefs of four major nations are raising trade concerns. They're uh, concerned about a kind of a global trade war. Also, existing home sales uh, slip. So those are some of the stories that we're keeping an eye on here today. All right. Very good. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Let's bring in Paul Perkins now as we look at our regional ag weather, and it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. I heard a crack of lightning in my headphones here. <laughs> they out there, aren't they? They're redeveloping today. Yeah, uh, on the back side of that low right now, some thunderstorms uh, from south to Ravenna to in between Kearney and Elm Creek down to just northwest of Baxdale this morning. Uh, nothing severe or anything, but we do have some thunderstorms that are going to pop up here and there on a very scattered basis on the backside of this load for today. Yep, and it continues to slowly track its way east. Exactly. It? Yeah, heavy rains last night, especially over south-central Nebraska and north-central Kansas. Reports of 6.6 inches of rain in Thayer County towards Chester and 8.5 inches of rain just to the southwest of Fairbury towards <laughs> Reynolds, Nebraska. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of rain and a a lot of us needing some rain, but maybe not that much all at once. Do we also have the flash flood advisories still in effect? Yeah, um, until southeast Thayer County up till about 1230 that morning in effect. In extreme eastern Nebraska, flash flood watch for today until about 1 o'clock this morning tonight. So right. Very good. Tell us more. We do have some light rain continuing to fall, mainly over north central and northeast Nebraska. That's mainly along and east of the line from O'Neill down to Albion and points off towards the east. Once again, those scattered showers and thunderstorms in central Nebraska, south of Loop City, now to Ravenna and in between Kearney and Elm Creek, down to near Holdridge. Also some scattered activity in the Nebraska sand hills from Hyannis and Mullen and points to the north and west. Our temperatures in the upper 60s to low 70s. Expecting to see some redevelopment of rain and thunderstorms later today. The better chances in the east, closer to that area of low pressure. But on the backside, like we're seeing right now, we could see some more redevelopment on a spotting basis. Not expecting any severe weather since the instability is very low, as we do have cooler and drier conditions in place. Temperatures cooler than normal with that northwest wind on the back of the low. Our rain chances decrease tomorrow with that low weakening and moving farther to the east. Tomorrow night looks to be our only dry period of the forecast in the next seven days because we could see even some thunderstorms by Friday with another low starting to track from the Rockies and it will move northeast to Nebraska Friday into early next week. Thunderstorms possible. It looks like the best chances Sunday into Monday. Just some small chances from about Friday into uh, the Saturday night period. Temperatures Friday through Tuesday at or below normal, but the 90s are forecast to return by next Wednesday. In our long-term forecast, that likelihood, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures will remain warmer than normal, especially in the later periods, the middle of next week, through the first three days of July. The long-term starts off with above-normal rainfall, the middle of next week in Nebraska and Kansas, but late next week through July 3rd, the Nebraska rainfall forecast expects near-normal precipitation, Kansas, the low-normal on rainfall. Weather factors affecting the markets include moderate to heavy rain in the Midwest with cooler conditions and the rain slowing the wheat harvest in the southern plains. An unsettled weather pattern will prevail the next few days east of the Rockies. Low pressure will drift east along the front. That net result, moderate to heavy rain from the central plains into the Ohio Valley and mid-Atlantic. In the Midwest, the frequent rain and cooler weather will maintain the favorable Growing conditions for corn and soybeans in the areas of heaviest rain, though, we could see some localized flooding. In the southern plains, thunderstorms and more seasonal temperatures are forecast in north and central areas the next five to six days. That's going to ease the stress to summer crops while also being somewhat unfavorable to maturing wheat and delaying their harvest. Drier and hotter weather in the southern parts of the southern plains will favor their wheat harvest. The Canadian prairie is still on track for a drier and warmer to hotter weather pattern this week. It does not appear to last long enough, though, to be a big concern for developing crops since cooler weather is expected next week.
Paul Perkins in our regional ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. And I guess it's uh, if we've got to have something heavy, it ought to be rain as long as it's not the hard stuff coming down. Exactly. And, and you know, in Parsons of Colorado, if you want to look this up on the web, uh, Greeley and Fort Collins, they had very deep hail. In fact, in, fact, in Greeley, I saw a video of a lady stuck in her pickup, four-wheel drive pickup, stuck in the hail because it was so deep and they had to dig it out. And I know they had quite a bit in Metro Denver here mm-hmm, exactly. to go too. All right, well, uh, keep up the prayers, and we'll make sure that it keeps coming down the way we need it when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. Governor Ricketts, Japan's Consul General, highlight new university QP partnership. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a check of ag news. Governor Pete Ricketts and visiting Consul General of Japan in Chicago, Naoki Ito, toured the Henningsen Food Plant in David City, Nebraska. The visit occurred on the heels of newly announced strategic partnership agreement between Henningsen's Tokyo-based parent, QP Corporation, and the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Henningsen Foods and QP have shared a tremendous relationship with Nebraska for over 50 years, said Governor Ricketts. During my recent trade mission to Japan, I met with the company's leadership to thank them for their investments in our state and to discuss new opportunities for collaboration. Those discussions led to today's announcement. This new partnership between CUPE and the University of Nebraska leverages our world-class resources at Nebraska Innovation Campus and strengthens the special relationship between Nebraska and Japan, which supports thousands of jobs in our communities. It has been a privilege to tour Henningsen's facilities in David City and yet another opportunity to acknowledge the deep friendship and economic ties shared between Nebraska and Japan. Consul General Ito said Nebraska and J- Japanese trade and business partnerships continue to grow stronger every year and they are a source of economic strength for all parties involved. A global producer of egg, meat and poultry products, Henningsen's Food operates three locations across Nebraska Governor Ricketts and a delegation of state and university officials met with senior leaders from parent company QP last year during the governor's second trade mission to Japan. Following that meeting, the governor's office helped connect QP with UNL. Shortly thereafter, representatives from UNL and Nebraska Department of Economic Development returned to Tokyo, at which time UNL and QP formalized a recently announced strategic partnership agreement. The agreement will see QP conduct North American market research and development efforts out of UNL's Nebraska's Innovation Campus in Lincoln. And on Friday, the United States Cattlemen Association President Kenny Grainer was invited by Congressman Kevin Kramer to the White House for a meeting with Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross. President Grainer joined a delegation of ranchers and farmers from North Dakota to discuss international trade issues and impacts to U.S. agriculture. The meeting was timely given recent action on international trade agreements and discussions. USCA President Kenny Grainer stated the following, the meeting with Commerce Secretary Ross was highly encouraging, and I appreciate both he and Congressman Kramer for taking the time to meet with agriculture stakeholders directly. U.S. cattle producers continue to face unbalanced trade standards in the international marketplace, and the Secretary outlined several steps that the administration is taking to address some ongoing issues. USCA is continuing our work in addressing U.S. beef access to international markets and maintaining needed safeguards and snapback provisions in any new trade deal entered into. Specifically, as the NAFTA negotiations continue, USCA has urged for the reestablishment of country of origin labeling program 
to be included in any agreement signed as U.S. cattle producers across the country won't declare the renegotiation efforts a success unless our product is accurately labeled. And while CME soybean prices are falling, domestic Chinese soybean meal prices are moving up in- incrementally because of possible impact of fewer U- U.S. soybeans shipping in the coming months. The trade dispute could lead to a spike in soy meal prices in China if the tariffs and market tensions remain into the fall. Chinese markets are showing signs of worrying about the supplies, even though China is building up soybean stocks and Brazilians will supply the country in the next several months. That's a quick look at Ag News. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And we're back this week visiting with BASF and Technical Service Representative Eric Schultz. And Eric, we're going to talk about some post-emergence herbicide applications in corn this week. Last week, we talked about soybeans, but talking about corn this week. And we'll get to that in a minute. First, wanting to visit with you rain seen across much of the state this week especially last night parts of it much needed parts of the state seeing this much needed rain so let's just get an update from where you're at and uh, maybe what you saw weatherwise what you've seen weatherwise here recently yes certainly uh, many places and i live in omaha many places my house included are receiving a lot of rain uh, upwards of three and a half inches in the last uh, 24 to 48 hours, Um, but in other places, um, even more than that, in the south central part of the state, lots of rain, and southeastern getting a few showers, and those are very much needed in uh, many of those places, Um, but uh, in terms of overall rainfall, kind of working to the east central and northeast part of the state, kind of the rich getting richer in terms of that moisture, and in some cases, too much. All right, so then now, as I mentioned before, getting into looking at maybe some post-herbicide applications in corn. Well, there are probably a majority of our corn acres are not still awaiting or looking for a post-herbicide um, application. I've seen plenty of cornfields at the V10 to even the V12 growth stage, and we should be wrapped up on our herbicide applications in those cases other fields, um, north central Nebraska, northeastern part of the state as well, we do have some corn still in that V5, V6, V7 stage. And in terms of our post-herbicide applications on those acres, for our products, we are talking about Armazon Pro and Status Herbicides. I know another thing you wanted to talk about this week when we look at this is your spray best practices, Eric. Yes, and there are a few important pieces to keep in mind. And number one would be product selection and the product cutoff to four applications. So I mentioned Status and I mentioned Armazon Pro. Each of those herbicides has a growth stage cutoff for corn at V8. And we need to be considering that. Also, weed size is a big one, a big consideration that should be at the forefront of our minds especially dealing with water hemp and palmer amaranth. All right, anything else you want to touch on this week, Eric? I know we're really getting into the thick of the growing season, and, of course, we're always at Mother Nature's whim, but a lot of these things that are coming into play um, this growing season, anything specifically you want to touch on this week? Another piece to keep in mind and certainly goes along with the weeds we are looking to control and the size of weeds would be our coverage and considering up and upping 
or increasing our gallonage to at least 15 GPA on those late corn post applications. All right. Thanks so much. It's Eric Schultz, BASF, a technical service representative, visiting with this week about late post herbicide applications in corn. We'll be back next week as well, visiting with Brady Kapler, looking at high-yielding soybeans and management practices. Of course, you can always visit RuralRadio.com to check out more on any of this. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening this week with our BASF check-in to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time for sports with Jason Jordan. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, it sounds like Mike Riley's days as being a head coach aren't over just yet. A report by Sirius NFL Radio says Riley will be the coach of the new San Antonio franchise coming to the Alliance of American Football. Now, Riley went just 19-19 and in three seasons as a head coach at Nebraska. He is currently serving as an assistant coach at Oregon State, where he has spent the majority of his career as the Beavers' head coach. Defending national champion Florida eliminated Texas yesterday from the College World Series, winning that one 6-1. Mississippi State, of course, blew out North Carolina. Now, the third and final game last night between Arkansas and Texas Tech was postponed due to rain, and they've had issues with rain again today in Omaha. They hope to get that one played. Then tonight at 6, weather permitting, it'll be Oregon State against North Carolina in an elimination matchup. The NSAA has released the final rankings of the All-Sports Cup competition for this past school year. Winning the All-School Award in each class was Lincoln Southwest in Class A. Elkhorn South was the victor in Class B. Grand Island Central Catholic, they were first in Class C and winning Class D was Shickley. Well, Corey Kluber tries to become the Major League's first 11-game winner this season when Cleveland hosts the White Sox this afternoon. Kluber has been on fire of late. He won five straight decisions before losing to Minnesota last time out, giving up two homers and four runs in a 6-3 defeat. Dodgers ace Clayton Kershaw is scheduled to start for AAA Oklahoma City on Saturday and could be back pitching in the majors very soon. Manager Dave Roberts says the three-time NL Cy Young Award winner will be limited to four innings and 60 pitches as he continues to recover from a strained lower back. Kershaw threw a three-inning simulated game yesterday and said afterward that he felt pretty good. And Alcides Escobar's streak of making 406 consecutive starts for the Kansas City Royals at shortstop is about to end. Manager Ned Yo says he plans to play Alberto Mondesi, one of the Royals' top prospects, at least a couple of days a week at shortstop. Now, Escobar, who's still just 31, seems like he should be older than that. He's been the Royals' everyday shortstop since 2011 after being acquired from the Milwaukee Brewers as part of that big deal to obtain Zach Grinke. That is a look at sports. Have a great afternoon. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. There is a chance of thunderstorms again tonight in parts of central and eastern Nebraska. Some of those storms could produce heavy rainfall. I'm Dave Schroeder. A trooper with the Nebraska State Patrol working with the Blaine County Sheriff's Office was able to revive a subject suffering from an opioid overdose by administering a dose of Narcan Wednesday evening near Dunning. Late Wednesday afternoon, the Sheriff's Office was called with a report of a suicidal person and requested assistance from NSP. 
Upon arrival at the scene, the subject was discovered to be unconscious and appeared to be suffering from an opioid overdose. The trooper administered a single dose of Narcan nasal spray. The subject immediately regained consciousness. The trooper and Sheriff Tim Sirks were able to keep the subject awake until an ambulance arrived and the subject was transferred to a hospital in Broken Bow. Archer Daniels Midland Company yesterday celebrated the opening of a new high-tech state-of-the-art feed facility in Columbus, Nebraska. ADM Animal Nutrition U.S. Feed lead Brad Dalkey talks about the products that will be coming out of the facility. We're making supplements, you know, be fed at a half a pound to two pounds per head, head per day. So it will do that uh, fairly efficiently uh, here. I think uh, if you look at our capacity, it, it's over 130,000 uh, annually. Um, so we have some capacity uh, uh, built into the plant. And so, I mean, it, basically it, it'll be a lot more efficient, a lot more safe for the employees. And I think the we had good quality product coming out of the other plant, but it will have probably as good or better quality from this plant just with the new automation and stuff that we have. The new facility features automation within receiving, batching, packaging, and loadout, and multiple batching systems with simultaneous weighing for high efficiency and high output. A judge has dismissed a lawsuit filed by two employees of the Nebraska Crime Commission who accused two county sheriffs and a police chief of harassment. The lawsuit was filed last October by Lisa Stamm and Vanessa Humerin against Cheyenne County Sheriff John Jensen, Scotts Bluff County Sheriff Mark Overman, and Scotts Bluff Police Chief Kevin Spencer. The lawsuit said among its allegations that the officials improperly used a state criminal database to check out Stamm and Humerin in an attempt to discredit and harass them. The lawsuit said the actions occurred after the commission denied funding to an anti-drug task force that included the city and both counties. U.S. District Judge Richard Cupp said in his dismissal filing earlier this month that even if the officials had violated governmental policy in using the database, the women didn't prove they were deprived of their Fourth Amendment rights against unlawful search and seizure. I'm Dave Schroeder. Have you ever wished there was an app for that when it came to paperwork? Well, if you're a livestock producer, it is coming your way. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Lucas Fricky is a pork producer from Ulysses, Nebraska. He's developed an app. It's called Chore Check, and it's really going to make your job as a producer a lot simpler. I'll let him explain. It's really helping alleviate a lot of the paperwork issues that are happening in the ag industry. I mean, we have all these great programs, um, and we are to be filling them out, but the big thing is, are they getting filled out and filled up correctly and properly and on time and not being lost in doing that? Is it actually even helping us? So Chorecheck, its main involvement when originally being built was to help solve that problem. The things that we're doing, is it actually helping us? Can we learn from it? Can we keep track of it accurately? So that's where it all came from. Really, I mean, from where it was started at conception was on a piece of paper with, I would like to be able to do A, B, and C. But it's gone beyond that. Yeah, it went from, I just want to be able to keep track of when I'm in the barn and if I had, you know, a deceased animal or, you know, different things going on inside of the barn to now a blockchain system that we're approving transparency, 
you know, we got different sensor packages going on to help, you know, better ma- control the animal environment and really actually help producers save a lot of money and potentially try to ward off some problems coming down the line. And I look at it just from the, the basics of what you were telling me. I mean, you can keep track of that animal. Of the animal when it goes to drink, of the animal when it goes to feed. You can check the manure pit levels. There's so many aspects of this, but just makes it so much easier for the pork producer. Yeah, and it's here's the big thing. It's not just pork producers. It's to be for all the livestock industries, to be completely honest. We're really working with some cattle producers now and hopefully get into the poultry market. Just trying to make a consistent and simple unified system to be able to share information in the livestock industry and prove what we're doing every single day is exactly what we say we're doing every single day. So what is your ultimate goal with Chore Check? Well, I mean, you always want to provide for your family. That's always kind of the fun part. But I would really say that we have a system that everybody uses, and that would be pretty awesome, and actually helping solve problems in the national level. Because, I mean, one of the big things that we built into the back end is the ability to help track diseases with inside of that and being, being able to find potential vectors for disease. And I know that kind of sounds like a weird thing. How can the software do this? Well, it's by using a universal visitor's log, which Torchek uses, um, we're able to track a person as they move throughout the country um, in visiting different livestock facilities and different stuff like that. So one really big application for this could be the threat of hoof and mouth disease. You know, sometimes salesmen may not know it, may not do the right, you know, cleaning and biosecurity procedures, but now they have the ability to use the universal visitor's log and being saying, I came in contact with this herd and this herd moved to this place and this herd actually went past here and these animals, we can now kind of track and have a map instead of going through paperwork and combing through it, you know, where a disease outbreak could have taken 13 weeks to find out where things moved, it can take 13 minutes to find out how things moved, where things have been, where things are going, and being able to curtail potential very hazardous situations for the United States livestock market. Did you ever think that what you were doing really to make your job easier as a pork producer can have such a huge ripple effect on the entire livestock ag industry across the nation? Uh, No. It was more because I had really good friends and family, and my brother, I can't even thank him enough for the things that he pushed me to do. Like, I remember him just saying, just do it. What are you going to lose? Just try it. It's Mm -hmm. a good idea. I believe in it, and I like it, so let's do it for us. So from that, I mean, I didn't think it would grow into what it is. Oh, I didn't think it would grow into what it is, but it's grown into something really awesome. So, yeah, I'm super excited where it's going. As you look at the app, let's start, they can have it on their phone. Yep. They have the box. Kind of explain that whole process of how that all works. So we like to have the ability for people to do this operation hands-free if they want to, or be really involved and have a lot of detail into it and really being able to control um, the whole entire production process. So we have it down to where you just press a button. One of the biggest things that people have to do is proving that they're in a location at a certain time on a certain date and showing that there's consistency, but they're doing the animals. So we have a simple solution for that. They press a button, can't be fudged, it's transparent, can't, you know, can't fudge that data. There's no backlogging at all possible. Or we have the ability to show with a person being in such an area of the barn and going from there. I think one of the 
the simplest way is that we have the barn hub, which connects to everything, all the sensors that we're doing, all that cool stuff. But that's kind of the main unit, and that connects to the network through a privatized data network. Now, this doesn't use cellular. This doesn't use an Internet service provider, so there's no constant monthly fee, and it can go out in the sticks. Like, we, we don't have to have another ex pre-existing network to do it. We are able to do it through our own privatized network, so that kind of cuts down on the ability for people to hack it. My conversation with Lucas Fricke. The website's soon to be up and running, but if you want more information, just reach out to me, and I'll share Lucas's phone number with you. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Next on the Rural Radio Network, we'll talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities about the livestock futures. Joe. Yeah, kind of quiet in the cattle, but uh, pretty active in the hogs today. Uh, over in the cattle, we uh, going to finish mixed. We had uh, the front end a little bit better and the back end a little bit lower. Not haven't heard of any uh, trade so far. Cutouts were lower at noon again. Um, and the only trade that uh, took place yesterday was just very slight uh, number of cattle, and it was at 108, so... Still uh, a little bit of uh, caution uh, in the uh, cattle market, but uh, we did see some bull spreading. We do have a cattle on feed report on Friday, and that has held back uh, some of the trade, and I think just evening up. Uh, that was pretty representative in the way we traded. The feeders uh, following the, basically the same mixed, just slightly higher in the back end, a little lower just in the August, and a very uh, choppy, quiet trade uh, in cattle. The hogs, though, there was uh, some pretty good trade. Uh, we even touched limit down in the August contract at one point. We do finish sharply lower triple-digit losses through April of next year. So uh, uh, cash seemed to be, uh, let's call it about steady uh, mixed. Uh, there were a few reporting higher and some reporting lower. But uh, overall, uh, it appears now uh, the way we've traded uh, that we may made it some kind of a top here, uh, at least temporarily. So, uh, down day and a lot of trade in the uh, in the hogs. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You can call him at 800-328-0134. That's 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. A Nebraska-based company is changing the way that surgeries are performed. In person, remotely, and potentially in outer space. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. Virtual Incision Corporation is a company that is focused on developing miniaturized robots for surgery procedures. The 12-year-old company is based at Nebraska Innovation Campus. I sat down with Virtual Incision co-founder and Chief Technology Officer Shane Frereter to learn more. Well, we make uh, small robots that are inserted into the body for surgery. So we're talking about abdominal surgery, uh, things like colon resection or appendectomy or gallbladder removal, those kinds of things. Uh, and we're taking a different approach. There's big robots that go on the outside and kind of reach into the body, but we're actually making small robots that are inserted into the body. For people who, aren't, who can't see this product firsthand, describe what it looks like and how small it is. Oh, I, it's it's not terribly small. It's maybe it's as big as your fist, um, but it has two arms, a left arm and a right arm, and at the end of the arms are, are hands. They're things like scissors and graspers and things. 
Um, and then it has a head. It has a, a camera that can look left, right, up, and down. So we've really tried to make it look, we've really tried to take the surgeon and shrink them down and put them inside the body, which is where they want to do their work. So we think it makes a lot of sense. And this is all about doing surgery virtually. So someone can sit in a whole different country, potentially, and do surgery on someone who's sitting somewhere else on an operating table. Yeah, I mean, our first application would be to have the surgeon in the same room as the patient. Uh, That's the way the company is looking at things. But uh, the research at the university has been sponsored by both the Army and NASA, and both of those organizations want to do surgery in crazy locations. Uh, Just last year, we did a little test where we had Clayton Anderson, our Nebraska astronaut, at the Johnson Space Center operate robots that were in Omaha. So uh, we think this uh, remote surgery is a little bit further down the road, but we think it's real. Let's talk about the process of doing this research. How long has this been going on? So we started doing the research in about 2002 when my partner, co-founder, Dmitry Linikoff, uh, who's a surgeon, was recruited to the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Uh, We formed the company in 2006. Uh, We've been making a lot of robots over the years. We've done uh, uh, hundreds of practice surgeries, and um, uh, that's brought us to this point where we think we have a device now that we can take through the FDA for use in patients. Let's talk about um, your background and why you want to wake up each day and want to do this kind of research. Well, I was born in uh, Ravenna, Nebraska. My folks owned a hardware store uh, in Ravenna, and we sold nuts and bolts to farmers who were fixing things, and that's really part of rural Nebraska culture. We are uh, people that make things and fix things, and we uh, do a lot with what we have. Uh, I think that kind of exemplifies uh, what we're trying to do with this work. I went to undergraduate in Lincoln, uh, got a degree in mechanical engineering, went to MIT for a master's and PhD, and came back because it's a great place to live. And, uh, you know, my co-founder and I have been working really hard on this for a number of years. And finally, let's hit on what's next for you all over the next couple of years and then beyond. Well, our big milestone will be uh, FDA approval, uh, or excuse me, FDA clearance. And, uh, you know, submitting that application will be a big uh, goal for us. Um, Things are always hard to predict beyond that, but we're, we're head down focused on uh, putting together a solid application. We've been hearing comments from Shane Ferreter. He is co-founder and chief technology officer of Virtual Incision. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskit on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. As we watched an up-and-down move in corn, wheat, and soybeans today, wheat was the leader to the upside, finishing with a double-digit gain in uh, Chicago wheat futures. So let's talk about it with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. What stands out as far as the movement of the grain markets today? Well, you mentioned wheat and Chicago being now the leader. Uh Five days ago, KC had a 20-cent premium over Chicago, and it's giving that all back here in the week. So it's been a heck of a month. Uh, just looking at some different charts that are longer term here. The beginning of the month, December 18, corn had a 4-cent premium over December 19. This morning, it's just a 24-cent discount. Uh, soybeans, 10 over, 21 over today. I mean, there's just a massive amount of shift in, in really the, the amount of money that has come out of grains. I think that's a big part of it. I think shorter term, the... Uh, the biggest thing we have to deal with right now is delivery. And in the case of wheat, delivery is actually 
kind of expected to be positive. Basis down south of you guys is about 20 over uh, versus 50 under a year ago. So that could pull us up into delivery. I think on the corn side, we're dealing with a heavy stocks number, and that will be shown here at the end of the month. But uh, once we work through this process here of the delivery, I think that the markets do trade a little higher just on their own accord. Uh, you know, the weather's fantastic. Ford model runs look like they're going to bring more rain here across the whole Midwest, and really nothing to talk about on that front. I think uh, it'll be by yield guessing, and in, in a weird sense, it's kind of the opposite of where we've been in the past couple of years. We're all guessing, say, one, you know, 170 or five, six bushels under trend. Now it's four or five bushels above trend. It'll be interesting how it shakes out. Well, it's always tough for the bulls, too, to make the case that conditions are too wet in the summer, so the trade doesn't want to hear that. Right, and I, I think at this point, you know, we're just assuming it's perfect. At least, the, you know, the, the trade I assume. I, I know that's not the case. I know not everybody will hit a trend. It's, you know, to get you know, a 184 nationwide yield, I mean, you have to have everybody maxing everything out. And maybe maybe we are. But other than just the good weather, there's no real proof of that yet. So we're still a couple of weeks away before pollination. You know, those, those, uh, those forecasts will be monitored. I'm sure we have plenty of subsoil to handle a, a few weeks without rain. But, you know, to stay above trend, we don't. And I think given that a lot of the specs are out of it, you know, we have no weather premium in the market. And the fact that we're still trading 375 should be a, kind of an encouraging sign even with the break. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. July corn in Chicago, or just July wheat rather, finished 11 and a half higher. Kansas City July up six and a half, but both were in that 489 level. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.